Dum, dum, da, dum. <laughs> Hello, welcome to MonarchCast. It's the special edition on modern royal weddings. Woohoo! Woo I'm Claire. Guess why? Claire, do you know? Oh, I'm Allie. <laughs> I'm do you, Claire. Do you know Allie. anyone getting? Yeah. Do you know anyone getting married? Oh, I think in a month we're gonna see a pretty big royal wedding. Who's getting married in May? Some, some, somebody in line for the royal succession. I don't think anybody very important. The royal ginger? Yes, the royal ginger. <laughs> that's that's kind of mean. No, nope. yeah. uh, our apologies to any redheads out there. It's meant with love. We love redheads. They're great. It's meant with love. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, this is our royal wedding special. We are taking a break from diving into... Boring history. Yeah. We're not going to talk about any specific monarchs today unless they were wearing a kick-ass wedding dress. I think everybody's maybe a little tired of hearing about the whole Protestant Catholic question. <laughs> yeah, don't worry. We're not even going to talk about religion today. Except everybody's getting married in the Church of England. <laughs> not everybody. <laughs> On this list. No, not everybody. We'll get there, but not everybody. What? Um, <gasps> Am I going to learn something? You might. I don't know. But anyway, yeah, like, let's jump in. I don't have any really good royal gossip. I don't know if you do. Well, I heard, you know, there's, like, all the, like, regular gossip going on about the wedding. Like, Megan's family is going to be the albatross around her neck for, like, the rest of her royal life. And, you know, I think previously it had been reported that her father is definitely walking her down the aisle, and now her relatives are like, well, we don't even know if he was invited. So... I mean, is that gossip? I don't know. I, like, don't want to really give them the time of day. Um, but interestingly, I think I sent you a link earlier today, um, and maybe we'll talk about this more next time if there's an actual outcome of this, but the Commonwealth is actually voting this week, supposedly, on who will replace Queen Elizabeth. Are they going to vote, or is it more just they're expected to talk about it? I was I read the link you sent me, and it wasn't clear to me if this was going to be an official decision. I don't think it's an official decision, but I think they're, like, opening the discussion of, like, does it necessarily need to be the heir to the crown of England, or is it just someone that we pick? And I really feel like it's going to be Australia. They're going to be like, nope, we want our yep. own. We want, we want somebody from Australia. And then, like... The UK is going to be like, um, we really like to see the king. <laughs> yeah. I, I think Australia's going to be like, could we nominate Hugh Jackman uh, for the post of head of the Commonwealth? He probably he sings, be phenomenal. He dances, yeah. he has muscles. Like, what's not to love? Hey, Justin Trudeau anyway. might not be the prime minister anymore. He might want to <laughs> jump in. You never know. I, I'm interested yeah. to see how that goes because I think it's, it's one of those things where, you know, they keep saying it's it's been the king and then the queen but they keep saying it doesn't have to be and I almost feel like a lot of them are probably thinking if we don't nip this in the bud it will always be the monarch yeah well I do have a little bit more that I read this week about the wedding but I think I'll save it for our discussion because I think it might actually come up in the actual important part of this episode. I don't know. Okay. Are we calling ourselves important? I don't know. Okay. Yeah. No, that's fine. Um, it's just not – I don't think it's technically gossip. I think it's fact. So. Oh, well, facts – yes. Facts should be in the main part of the program. Although, sure. check in on our favorite Spaniards. Apparently, Leticia borrowed a tiara and there was some stuff about that. So, I don't know. Yeah. But we could – I don't I don't feel qualified to – 
we are elaborate on that. We are gonna have to at one point dive into the Spanish monarchy. Because I feel like we should because no, they we, sound really interesting. They and they have been bringing the drama for over centuries. But like the last month, at least. I know. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know about you, but I don't know if we have any royal oops either. Um, you know what? I had some stuff that I wanted to look up, and my bad, I didn't. So we'll save it for next time. We'll save it for next time. This is kind of like a special edition episode. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So we're here today to talk about modern royal weddings, as we said, I'm and I think- cash in on everyone's favorite royal drama. Yes. Well, as everybody out there is probably aware, uh, Prince Harry is marrying Meghan Markle on May 19th. But, you know, we figured what a great time to do a little special on Modern Royal Weddings. We're going to talk about a few of the things that we might be seeing on the special day. Some of the things that Harry and Meghan might have chosen not to do on their special day. And just... A few things that are kind of interesting about how these folks do weddings. And I want to clarify from the beginning, maybe a little bit of a disclaimer here. Two things. Um, The first is that just because, especially in the last 10 years, 20 years, there have been so many royals across Europe getting married. We are restricting this to the UK monarchy only because it is Prince Harry who is getting married, although I did want to just take this opportunity to give a special shout out to the Crown Princess Victoria of Sweden, because when I was looking at pictures of her wedding, her tiara is epic. So if if you are out there and you're curious, just take a look. The thing is like three feet tall. It's crazy. Um, also, wow. side note, I got a little curious and I was wondering if her name was Victoria, because she's related to Victoria uh, and it turns spoiler out spoiler alert she is. yes 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 Claire remember last episode when I talked about how basically every single throne in Europe that was Protestant was descended from Queen Victoria well you know I just Did, were you not listening when uh, I was talking I was listening but I was curious if this particular situation applied and it turns out Victoria is her great great something great grandmother so same as Queen Elizabeth and like so you know whenever like Will and Kate go to like Sweden or Denmark or wherever. They're like visiting distant cousins. Yeah, it's kind of cool. Anyway, she yeah. does have a pretty epic tiara for those of you. Maybe we'll put a picture in our show notes. Do we have show I need to Google this now. I have not seen it. Do we have I just want to know who's like copying. Yeah, sometimes I do stuff. All right. Um, I put like book links, you know. Well, like, oh, these are. I should, I should tell everybody all of my information today came mostly from the BBC and also every article written in the past six months in a bridal magazine. So yeah. <laughs> the information is out there if you want it. Um, the second disclaimer that I just wanted to make is that when we're talking about modern royal weddings, we are talking about really everything past 1960 because we're talking about the age of the televised mm-hmm. modern royal wedding. So so we're not going to be talking about Elizabeth and Philip. No, and we're not going to be talking about Victoria. And I mean, we could do... Well, uh, we should mention. I'll mention her a few influence things on all modern weddings. Yeah, I'll mention a few things, but yeah, we're not going to be doing a deep dive into all the weddings of the nineteenth and twentieth century because we'd be here for hours. 
Right. But Victoria, we should mention, was a bit of a trendsetter. A little bit, yeah. So I have a couple of things in here, and if there's something that you want to jump in and add, you absolutely can. But I just wanted to throw those two disclaimers out there because I feel like this is one of those topics where we could probably have our own podcast on About royal modern weddings. royal weddings. Or not even modern royal weddings, just all royal weddings. There's so much out there. So so when we're talking about modern royal weddings, though, as I mentioned, we're really talking about 1960 and on. But I did want to give a shout out to George V, our man from mm-hmm. last week. If you listened, he is the monarch who changed the family name to Windsor. And that's actually relevant to our discussion today because one of the things that he did to help bolster the family's British credentials is that he made weddings a bigger deal. He made them much more public, and he made them more British. So He brought that party to the street. He did, and this started with the wedding of his daughter, I believe. Um, Yes. But one of the things he did... Or was it his sister? It was either his sister or his daughter. Um, We just did this last week, and I've already forgotten. Royal oops for next week. I think think it was (laughs) Princess Mary... It was Princess Mary, which who I think was actually, I want to say his daughter. I believe so. But the point I'm really trying to make here is that he decided there was a wedding coming and he took it as an opportunity to improve the family's PR like he did with changing the name and really emphasizing their Britishness. And one of the ways that he did that was that he encouraged the use of Westminster Abbey for royal weddings. Because the thing about Westminster Abbey is when you think about British church, you think about Westminster Abbey. So Westminster Abbey is is the great British church. It was um, built by a king, and it's where the kings and queens of England were traditionally crowned. Um, Prior to this, the family often would hold their weddings in the Chapel Royal at... St. James's Palace or even St. George's Chapel at Windsor, but um, having a big public abbey wedding really wasn't a thing that they did. And the thing about having the wedding, the wedding in the abbey, is that it also allows for a much bigger wedding and, than the traditional venues. So you can start having a big procession through the streets, and then more people could be invited. So the idea was. Everybody loves a wedding, right? Let's invite the public in. Let's let them see. And where's the most British place you could possibly get married? Let's do it at Westminster Abbey. But the point is, is that you can fit a lot more people in Westminster Abbey. And then the other thing is that you have to get to Westminster Abbey. So you have this grand procession through the streets and the people can wave and see the princess and, um, you know, it's, it's, it's much more exciting for everybody than it is if you're having this private family occasion that nobody's invited to. Exactly. And they can look at the celebrities and, you know, kind of everybody gets to party and like view the spectacle. It's like a pageant, right? It really is. And it really fed into this PR machine of the British monarchy that George V, we talked about last week, was trying to cultivate is this idea of, you know, you love us. Weddings are so happy. Who doesn't love a wedding? You know, hey, look, my daughter's getting married. My son's getting married. Um, I don't know if we mentioned this, but um, King George VI, who at the time was known as Prince Albert, was actually married in Westminster Abbey when he married Elizabeth Bowes Leon, and at the time he was the Duke of York, but, um, you know, I'm sure his father was saying, no, you are going to get married in Westminster Abbey <laughs> because the public is going to see something. Yeah, exactly, and I think we we did mention this last time, he was also like, you're going to be the first 
you know, royal prince in like 500 years to get married in public in this manner. <laughs> he was probably as a, you know, anybody who's watched the King's Speech knows that's probably not his, his wish for his wedding day, but that's what happened. I <laughs> so. think poor King George did a lot of things he didn't think he'd do. But like become king, like become king, <laughs> exactly. Um, so the idea of this modern royal wedding, I think we have to start with King George V, just because this idea of this public spectacle really comes back mm-hmm. to him, using it as a tool to cultivate goodwill for the monarchy. And exactly. we very much still see that today. Um, I, you know, we talked about we weren't really going to cover Victoria, we weren't really going to cover Elizabeth and Philip, but the thing about Queen Elizabeth's wedding is that it happened in 1947 and um, you know this is World War II it's a, a really big deal that the wedding is even happening and it was a big morale booster and her wedding had all these patriotic symbols on her dress had all these patriotic symbols and you know even though it was maybe a more subdued affair than it might be in a non-wartime environment I think it was still used as a way to boost public morale from a country that was being bombed incessantly for the well, majority of the Well, in 1947, war. they weren't being bombed, but they had been. Well, that's what I mean. It's like you've got a country that's just literally shell-shocked. And right, exactly. And the young, beautiful princess marrying the handsome prince, I mean, what more could you ask for? And so, of course, they did it in Westminster Abbey. And, of course, they made it as much of an occasion as they could. Um you know, I think we'll talk about this a little bit later, but, you know, rationing was still going on at the time. So Elizabeth had to save up all of her rations to pay for her wedding dress. Right. Because you have to walk that line between like, you want to give the public a show, but you also don't want to make the public resentful of your splashy wedding when they're, you know, not able to buy butter. Exactly. Exactly. So um, I think, you know, we've seen this as a tool um, ever since the reign of George V. But as we mentioned, we are going to focus on the area, the era of modern television. And the first royal wedding to be televised actually belongs to Princess Margaret in on May 6th, 1960, when she married Anthony Armstrong Jones. So this is the first royal wedding to be televised, although I do believe that the actual exchange of vows was not televised. I did read that, but even though this is 1960, television is still a fairly new thing. More than 20 million people tuned in to watch, and um, you know this is the first time you see on TV. You've got a princess in a big white puffy wedding dress, and she famously makes the trip from Clarence House to Westminster Abbey in the glass coach. Um, which is the big glass carriage that all the brides take. And we'll talk about that a little bit more when we talk about the wedding traditions. Is it weird that, like, that sounds uncomfortable? Oh, I'm sure it's like you're squeezed in there in your giant dress and you're trying not to get your dress wrinkled. And it's glass. Like, I'm sure it's really loud. But they do it because everybody can see you, right? So they take you on the journey from Clarence House to Westminster Abbey and everybody's lining the streets and they wave. And Margaret did it with the Duke of Edinburgh, or Edinburgh. Edinburgh. Edinburgh, thank you. Also known as Prince Philip. So I'm sure that was a pleasant <laughs> coach ride. Although I guess... I'm sure Philip, if we've learned anything from the crown, was super happy about that. <laughs> um, and then this is also the uh, another wedding where you start to see this tradition. Although I, I think this was done beforehand, but again, this becomes 
um, more of a public spectacle, the balcony wave at Buckingham Palace. Mm-hmm. You know, the couple goes back to Buckingham Palace. They present themselves to the public. Everybody gets their visual of the bride and groom and people cheer. And it was it was a really big event. But I think this is the first time that you see it's not just a big event in England. It's It's starting to be broadcast all around the world and um, treated like a celebrate like a big notable historical event that it is you know I mean think about a royal wedding usually it is a historical event because either you've got two people that are going to give birth to a monarch or you've got a monarch getting married and so every time a monarch gets married or there's a royal wedding it's some it is a bit of a historical event but this is the first time that the public is being treated to a broadcast of it as it's unfolding so pretty exciting stuff um, I don't really have anything more to say about that one. As we all know, that marriage was rather ill-fated. As, and as many just of to be clear, are. because we talked about Princess Margaret's romance before, this is clearly not to who we were talking about in no, no, no. our Spare Affair episode. Peter Townsend's nowhere near this wedding. <laughs> this is the man she settled for. Married instead, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And then the next and the next really big wedding, I mean, that's not to say that there weren't some weddings in between, but the next really big one is July 29th, 1981. You have the marriage of Prince Charles, Prince of Wales to Diana Spencer. Um this is arguably, I would say, the most the royal wedding. The royal wedding. Yes. This is the yeah. most famous royal wedding of the 20th century and I I don't even think the ones that we've seen recently could come close to this. Um, the press speculation leading up to this, I mean, because you have the crown prince, you know, Prince of Wales of England after so many years, finally choosing a bride. And he chose like the prettiest, most virginal, most fairy tale like woman he possibly could have picked. And so everybody just ate That's it up. why we don't fairy tales well sure but at the time <laughs> the press went nuts the public right. just ate it up right. it was crazy so their wedding actually took place at st paul's cathedral in london um in part to allow for a bigger um, wedding congregation so they had 3,500 guests alone including <sighs> most european heads of state and foreign dignitaries from around the world um actually i did read there were a few notable exceptions um the King of Greece didn't come because he didn't like the way he was addressed on the invitation. And um, <laughs> I know it's okay, dude. Yeah, you know, I don't think at that time he had much going for him. So <laughs> getting you don't even have a real throne. You can like getting the titles <laughs> right was really important. And then obviously a representative from Northern Ireland did not attend because mm. um, the status was unclear. Um, but m- most people invited did attend because this was this was a really really big deal um this is the future king of england so they had to hold it at saint paul's so that they could account for all of that and then in addition to that six hundred thousand people lined the streets and 750 million people watched on television uh world worldwide obviously but it was a big television event it was a global event it really was i mean i Obviously was not alive. You were not alive, but I feel like I, I was. thought you were going to be like, I mean, like, I remember. No. And I was gonna be like, I've seen enough don't. clips on TV that I feel <laughs> like I was there. 
Um, Diana also made the journey from Clarence House to the church in the glass coach, along with her father, Earl Spencer. Um, the images that most people, I think, remember of this wedding are Charles and Diana on the front steps of the church um, because of Diana's dress, which I could only refer to as an 80s monstrosity. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, this made me, like, crack up earlier when I, like, saw your notes because you're not wrong. Like, it's this bubble of, like, just wrinkled satin. Okay, like, it's taffeta, first of all, which is, like, oh, okay, whatever. such a mistake yeah. because that stuff wrinkles like you wouldn't believe and she's got these giant puffy sleeves I mean it was the 80s though and the thing is is she's 19 years old marrying a prince what else was she gonna pick you know that was right. the dress it's the definition of a princess wedding dress and it had a 25 sure. foot train which I think <sighs> how do you even manage that it's just insane um she also wore the Spencer tiara which um I guess is now is that her family? Yes. Tiara? So I guess that's what's notable is that Diana's family actually is rich enough and um, titled enough that they had their own tiara to loan her. Um, but those are the images that I think most people see: is Diana in this massive dress and Charles next to her, and she's got the beautiful tiara on, and there's all the little page boys and little female attendants little girls running around and it's it's a very very iconic image and one of the reasons that is the case is that it was broadcast to 750 million people around the world so you could argue that like okay other weddings are televised like obviously 20 million people are watching princess marguerite get married but like obviously charles and diana set the like standard of like this is what it means to like have the globe turned into your wedding it, yeah, it, it it was a it was just I think a really phenomenal public, almost pop culture event, um, that just also happened to be two people getting married. Um, so along those lines, they also did the Buckingham Palace balcony wave. Um, although they kissed, which I think was the first time that that's been done. Um, and you know, just again noting the wedding was huge, but did you know, befits the Prince of Wales, future King of England. Um, and the only reason I bring that up is that the next one that I have here is really more just for contrast. Also the future King of yes. England. <laughs> so we have, as everybody probably knows, Charles and Diana's marriage didn't last and they did eventually get divorced and she also has um, passed away. So in on April 9th, 2005, Charles marries um, Camilla, Camilla Parker Bowles, and, um, you know, famous figure in their marriage, in the marriage of Charles and Diana, unfortunately. But um, for, you know, everyone involved, this is a happy ending. Um, in February of that year, Charles and Camilla announced their engagement, and the public outcry wasn't really anything it could have been. Um, I feel like everybody was kind of like, duh. Yeah. Like, okay, just do it already. You're like in your 60s, just get married. Yeah. I mean, it was it was fine. You know, the queen gave her consent. Um, I think a few of the Commonwealth co countries, notably Canada, didn't even give consent. They felt like they didn't need to because the um, wedding wasn't going to, you know, the marriage isn't going to result in offspring and it's not going to have any impact on the succession. So they didn't really feel like it mattered. Um, but this that was, would be a true miracle if 
that wedding resulted would, in offspring. It really, really would. Um, <laughs> but it was it was a much smaller wedding. And going back to your point about how all of these weddings are religious, that's actually not the case. Charles is the oh, only member yeah. of the royal family to have a civil wedding. Okay, um, okay, you got me. I did, I did, I caught you. Um, this was done because both parties were in fact divorced. Um, both previously married in the Church of England, and um, it's a lot like the Catholic Church, although I think that they've relaxed their rules a little bit. Um, but two divorced people couldn't marry in an Anglican ceremony. And even if the rules didn't necessarily apply to them, I think it was just seen they as... They applied to the royal Yeah, family. it was just seen as good form to do a civil wedding. Um you know, there were some government documents from the 1950s and 60s that had been published by the BBC that stated that such a marriage was illegal because, I guess, the idea is that a member of the royal family has to get married in the Anglican church. Um, but these were dismissed by the family and explained to be obsolete by the sitting government. So everyone involved who had an opinion didn't seem to think this was really that big of a deal. Again, I think this all goes back to the fact that this is not a marriage that is going to result in children and there aren't going to be any concerns about Charles having further issue that might impact the succession in any way. So everybody was pretty chill about it. So again, you know, we're we're entering territory where the things that were even 30 years before you know, we couldn't even conceive of. Now everybody's not only saying, yeah, it's no big deal, but we don't even care. Stop bleeding on about it. Do they not care because they don't have kids? Like if William and Kate were like, we're going to have a civil wedding, people would be like, no, you're not. Yeah. No, I think, I think that that had a lot to do with it. The fact that this was a second marriage for both of them. They were older, later in life. It's, it's not, they're marrying because it's romantic and it's companionship and that's what they want. They're not getting married for any other reason. So right. I don't think every I don't think the the scrutiny was there that might be in a different situation. Charles is like I always told you one day you'd be my queen. <laughs> well, we'll see. Um, mm-hmm. And what maybe not in name but in actuality. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> you're so romantic this evening. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so um, one thing I thought was interesting about this marriage, though, is that it took place at um, the Windsor Guildhall, which is near the entrance to Windsor Castle, but not actually at Windsor Castle, as was originally intended, because it was a civil marriage. So if mm. the royal family wants to have a wedding at Windsor, that's fine. They do it in St. George's Chapel. It's the private family chapel. It's not open to the public, so that's all well and good. But... If the castle was going to host a civil wedding, then they would have to open themselves up to marriage, to host marriages for anyone who wanted one. And it obviously is not in the business. Like of, any member of the public? Yes. So it, How? I don't know what the rules are. Oh, because it's civil. And, yeah. Oh. But essentially it would have, point I'm trying to make here is that they couldn't have the wedding at Windsor Castle because for whatever reason that would have required the castle to operate as a public wedding venue moving forward and of course nobody wants to do that so they had the wedding at the Windsor Guildhall to avoid that because that is actually a public wedding venue already um interestingly the Queen and Philip did not attend the ceremony at the Windsor Guildhall. Um, this is well, she can't. Yes, this is due to the fact that the Queen is the head of the Church of England. Um, but they did attend the blessing at St. George's Chapel, 
at Windsor Castle. And um, that is actually the part of the wedding that was televised. So the reason this is on the list is that even Charles's second marriage was televised for the public, although I think, as we probably could expect, there was, um, you know, fewer public processions in the streets and way fewer people watching than when he married Diana. Um, but it was still treated as a, you know, a wedding of the future King of England. It was still treated with the gravitas that that kind of, um, event requires. And finally, I'm getting us to the wedding that most people listening probably remember is April 29th, 2011 is, um, Prince William marries Kate Middleton at Westminster Abbey. Um, this one is quite comparable to the wedding of Charles and Diana with the media circus around the wedding leading up to it. Um, there was a lot of focus on the cost of the wedding, which I think had a lot to do with the economic environment of the world at the time. Um, but the wedding was said to have cost $20 million and then everybody was wondering who was paying. And I think- Who's normally worried about that? No one. I think a lot of that speculation can probably be attributed to the fact that Kate Middleton is a commoner and not even a member of the aristocracy. So a lot of people, this is this is a new thing. This is the, you know, modern age, but we've got a commoner coming in and it's clearly a very expensive wedding as you would expect from the future King of England. But, um, you know, the question is kind of what's she bringing to the table? And what I will say is it's been widely reported that her family did pay for her dress, which um, cost about 250,000 pounds, I believe. Or maybe that's the dollar equivalent, but it was pretty expensive. Um, this is where England annoys me because it's like, oh, she's middle class. Like, what are they going to do? It's like her family has millions at their disposal. Yes. They're fine. Yes. Like, they, had some, they have some money. Um, she also notably broke with tradition. She did not travel to the wedding in the glass coach. But good took, for her. Well, she took the Queen's Rolls Royce Phantom, and I cannot blame her. That was a sweet, sweet ride. Uh, it probably didn't rattle like a glass coach. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, and she also did wear the Cartier Scroll tiara, which was on loan from the Queen. Um, they did the balcony wave at Buckingham Palace along with two kisses. So that was Ooh, pretty la, la. sweet. Um, and this wedding is um, notable. It was broadcast in more than 180 countries and wow. watched by 24.5 million people in the UK alone. Um the worldwide audience was estimated in the billions, but that, given just the quality in TV broadcasts across the world, was very difficult to substantiate. So either way, a ton of people cared about this wedding and tuned in and watched it. Did you watch it? I actually watched part of it. So if I remember correctly, I had to work that day because they got married. They did not get married on a weekend. No. Um, thank you, Megan and Harry, for getting married on Saturday. Oh, my God. It was like a Monday or like – no, maybe it was a Friday. It was like something I think it was unholy. a Friday because I know it was like a bank holiday. Like everybody got the day off in the UK. Um, but I remember I weirdly – And I only say unholy because it aired at 2 a.m. here. Your time. My, yeah, West Coast yeah. time. I, 2 a.m. I did not get up early to watch it, but 
interestingly enough that day, I remember this, I had a doctor's appointment before I had to go to work. So I happened to be sitting in the lobby of my doctor's office and it was broadcast on the TV and I had completely forgotten about it because, you know, you wake up at 6 a.m. and you're not thinking about the royal wedding. But I remember thinking, oh, I really like her dress. And I just remember they, the wedding was already over at that point. They were right. arriving at Buckingham Palace. Um, and I just remember thinking how relieved everybody looked that it was over. So I think you and I probably tuned in at the same time because, like I said, West Coast time, it was like 2 a.m. And I was like, maybe now, uh, you know, in the interest of uh, professionalism, <clears throat> um, <laughs> I would wake up and watch at 2 a.m. But at the time, I was like, I got to go to work tomorrow. Like, But I like got up and got ready for work. And then like I think I was like on my way out the door. And I was like, oh, yeah, the wedding. And I like turned on the TV and they were like, driving through the street like it had already happened and I just remember thinking like the top of her dress looked really pretty because that was all I could see but also like they looked so relieved like I had the same exact thought like they were just like thank god it's over hello hello (laughs) yeah I mean I can only imagine what it's like to get married in front of millions of people well, I think the thing was, like, Diana, like, screwed up Charles's name. Mm-hmm. Like, she reversed the order because he has, like, all his relatives, like, ten names. So um, I think the whole thing was, like, everyone was, like, is Kate going to get his name right? Like, you know. Yeah. I it's, Like, can't they just cut them some slack? Just do the first two, like, normal people. I cannot imagine the pressure. Um, yeah. But, you know, I like to think Megan was, like, you know, people in the U.S. might want to watch, but they don't get the day off. So maybe let's do a Saturday. Or or the country was like, we're not going to give you a bank holiday, so you may as well make it a weekend. <laughs> yeah. And it's later in the day, I believe. Yeah. The, so the wedding we've been talking about, um, I think we've already mentioned it, but it's May 19th, 2018. Um, and I think, you know, given what we've seen just with the media interest and the interest of the public, I think this is going to be um, – I don't, I don't know if it will match the wedding of William and Kate or Charles and Diana, but I think it's going to be pretty close. Uh, Prince Harry is very popular, and I think a lot of... And people of, have been waiting for his wedding for a long time. Yes, and I think a lot of people in North America are excited because, you know, one of our own, um, at least in the U.S. Um, is it one of our own, or is it like a long game that they're playing? Like. <laughs> You guys thought you had a revolution, but we're coming back. It's going to be like, Claire, it's going to be like the glorious revolution, just like USA (laughs) 2.0. Maybe. (laughs) We might welcome it at that point. You never know. (laughs) Either way, I mean, I think it's interesting because, you know, as everybody knows, Meghan Markle was on Suits and it films in Canada. So I think Canada kind of has a little bit of a claim to her. So we've got two major countries in North America that are pretty darn excited. So I think I think Mexico's like, what's happening? Yeah, they're probably going on too. You know, there's (laughs) gonna be some good turnout, I think. But I think I think Mexico's like we are an excellent honeymoon destination. (laughs) Yeah. But I think, you know, the next thing we can talk about is what kind of traditions we can expect to see at this wedding, because I think with all the weddings that we're talking about, there's a lot of similarities in schedule, logistics, visuals Mm -hmm. that kind of mark the royal wedding. So what kind of traditions can we expect to see? Going back to what I was just saying, there's um, a lot of traditional markers that kind of mark a royal wedding. One of the things is um, the venue. So we do actually know the venue. Um, They are going to get married at St. George's Chapel at Windsor. 
Um, and, you know, that's one of the venues that sort of some of the lesser royals like to pick because it's still, it's, it's small enough that you don't have to invite everyone you know, but I think it still lends some gravitas to this idea of a royal wedding. As we talked about a little bit previously, uh, you know, prior to George V, royal weddings were predominantly performed in the Chapel Royal at St. James's Palace, which is pretty small. Um, this is where Victoria and Albert were married, for example, and several of their children. But it's private. It's meant for a private family wedding. It's not open to the public. The public can't see anything. It doesn't lend itself to a public spectacle. Um, and along those lines, St. George's, where Harry and Meghan are getting married, um, was also a very traditional choice. Generally, if you weren't getting married at the Chapel Royal, you were getting married at St. George's Chapel. So those are the two really traditional venues. And then as we've seen this evolution of the public wedding, when Westminster Abbey became more popular, um, as the guest lists have grown and weddings have become larger, um, you know, we talked about this at the beginning, but Queen Elizabeth, her parents, her sister, her daughter Anne, and her son Andrew were all married there, as were William and Kate. Um, St. Paul's is not as commonly used, but was used for um, Prince Charles and Diana, and I really think that that was used just to accommodate the guest list. I mean, it is not yeah. a common wedding venue for the royal family. Well, and let's specify, like, St. George's might be, like, considered the private venue, but it's still large. Like, their wedding is not going to be small. Like, no. they invited a significant number of people from the public, and, like, you know, the only thing, this is this goes into what I was saying was not so much gossip as fact, but it was announced that it is not considered a state wedding, and they are not inviting heads of state from other um other countries. So notably, the Obamas are not being invited. Uh, the president is not being invited. Other European and North American Commonwealth heads of state. This is not a state wedding. This is a large wedding, yes, but it is a, you know, we're inviting friends and family only. I almost said close, but that seems, you know, what's the definition of close? <laughs> So. Yeah, I think the venue is still big enough that they can invite everybody that needs to be invited, but it's small enough that they don't really have to invite any extras. Exactly. Like, you might get some European royalty because they're family. They're also, like, that's, like, the nice thing to do, but, like, they're not, they're not inviting, like, heads of government. It's also a really common venue for younger siblings, um, you know, with the exception of um, Anne and Andrew got married at Westminster Abbey, but I think, you know, Anne was the first wedding um, for a child of Elizabeth and Philip, and I think um, Andrew got married very shortly after Charles, and from what I know of their relationship, I think he kind of felt like he also deserved a very large wedding. Um, hmm. But Edward and Sophie got married at St. George's, and... Um, that's also where um, Peter Phillips, who is Anne's son, got married. So it's sort of a popular venue for the less public weddings of what we would call lesser royals. And what I mean by lesser royals is those further down the line in succession, which, yes, Harry is Charles's son, but he is now fifth in the line. The last in line. And he's going he's the to, last. Yes. 
in the succession. He's going to be yeah. sixth once this new baby comes. Which, as we've talked about before, is the end of the official succession. Yes, yes, because it's the first six people that have to get permission from the queen. Um, when they marry, they're the ones that are sort of more subject to her authority than the others. I wonder if Harry was like, damn, if I just waited for one more baby. <laughs> well, you know, if Queen Elizabeth dies, he'll he'll bump up, so. Yeah, that's true. So that's a catch-22. Like, <laughs> do I wait too long? Do I go too early? So and She said yes, everything's fine. Yeah. Um, one thing I wanted to mention when we're talking about venues is we keep mentioning this glass coach, and the reason why it's used is this idea, and I know especially, like, when you're going from Clarence House or Buckingham Palace to, for example, Westminster Abbey, it just provides this fabulous visual, right, of this, like, Cinderella carriage taking um, the bride that everybody can see because of these beautiful glass windows to the wedding. Um, but it was actually originally bought for the coronation of George V, which I think is kind of interesting because now it's predominantly used for royal weddings. And I feel like he was like, you guys, let's put on a spectacle. I've got this coach. Yeah. <laughs> just I, hanging out in the garage. I used it for my coronation, but it, we really can't think of anything to did do he, with it. So did he use it for the coronation? I believe so. Okay. Because I, I haven't read anything about like... Um, George the Sixth or Queen Elizabeth using it for hers. So maybe it's up to the monarch. I don't know, but all I know is that's what it was originally bought for, and now it's really more um, synonymous with royal weddings. Although, again, as we mentioned, Kate Middleton notably did not use the glass coach. I wonder if it was like a thing that he thought would be like kind of cool, and then he like wrote in it one time, and he was like, "Actually, this wasn't very fun, but like it has kind of a Cinderella appeal. Appeal. Let's throw the women in there. <laughs> like, why not? Who who couldn't say? But I think yeah. I think I, I you know as a bride, it's probably pretty cool. But right, I mean the visual spectacle is amazing. I just I'm like caught up on the comfort level of this. Like you're already kind of packed in with like your like fifty yards of I'm sorry, did you say toll? Was that? Or taffeta. taffeta. Taffeta, sorry. And like, you're also boxed in a glass box rolling down the street on like cobblestones. Like, that doesn't sound fun. Speaking of visuals, though, I think you kind of wanted to talk about this a little bit, but um, mm -hmm. the dress, yeah. that's, that's the big piece that everybody's waiting for, right? For Megan. What are you going to wear? So what's interesting is that royal brides typically do dress for the occasion and their surroundings. I went through all the pictures going back like 200 years because there are actually a lot of paintings and photographs and the dresses have always been pretty spectacular. Even even ugh, if we go back to like the 20s, whew, that flapper yeah. style, not great. But for the time, you can really see the money and the detail and the effort that went into these dresses um it's always especially in these modern weddings a huge part of the public focus going back to queen elizabeth um you know we talked about this at the beginning but she famously saved up her war rations to pay for her dress and it was decorated with all these patriotic symbols and the idea was that this is going to be photographed so she really put a lot of what thought into it what does that mean? Like her rations for fabric? So I think it was like um, clothing rations or, okay. you know, you had a, because the economy was still so bad, yeah. you know, you could only spend so much on certain things like 
factories were still recovering. The every everything was still recovering. Do you think she also got like Margaret to donate her rations and her like? Because I'm just like thinking of no. Like, so actually, um, famously, members of the public would send in their rations to her, aww. but she wasn't allowed to accept them. So she would have to return them, but um, the public did try to help because you know at the time it was it was not an easy thing to pay for a wedding dress even for a princess but like was she allowed to supplement with I mean, like I'm money sure. because i'm trying to think like the time between when they announced the engagement and when they got married wasn't like that long well you have to remember they were secretly engaged for about a year before it was announced oh that's true but also i am sure there is the public story and probably the behind the scenes story of what actually happened i yeah. don't want to besmirch our beloved queen elizabeth but who knows? Perhaps she had a little bit of leniency. But that is the story. Um, you know, the dress, and this just goes into the fact that I think she wanted a dress that even in post-war times would stand up to history because she knew it was going to be photographed, it was going to be meaningful, and she wanted to get something special. Um, and that could even, you know, you can even go back to Queen Victoria as far as dresses. She's famous for inventing the white wedding dress, although... At the time, really, it was just notable because it kind of shocked society because it was very uncommon to wear a white wedding dress. And apparently, she just liked the color. It wasn't to symbolize virginity or anything like that. She just, she liked the idea of a white dress. And at the time, white was a symbol of wealth. So once she wore it, it became a bit of a trend, but really among the upper class wealthy people who could afford those yards of white silk. Mm -hmm. um, but... She gets credit for inventing the white wedding dress, although I'm not really sure if that's historically accurate. Well, I'm sure it took some time to, like, catch on until it was, like, an affordable option for everyone because now it's, like, the exception to not be married in a white dress. Right. But, At least in a Western um, society. Right, exactly. But, well, yeah, I mean, if you're talking about different societies, this is, like, funeral attire. But, um, yeah, she popularized it because you know like we talked about previously like she set traditions for a lot of different customs but um I think it is kind of fun to think about her as like the the godmother of you know wedding attire yeah I mean she definitely has that reputation and I think when you're thinking about big royal wedding dresses even looking at Diana's wedding dress I think you, you can see the influence of Queen Victoria in that wedding dress it was famously huge <laughs> it like swallowed her a little bit it was massive and it was you know it was funny because I think it gets a lot of flack but I, I read this interesting point where somebody was making one of the articles that I was reading was saying you know like yes it's it's the epitome of 80s fashion with those giant puff sleeves and all that wrinkled material but you remember it so didn't it mm -hmm. serve its purpose it's I mean I can like clearly visualize it in my mind yes, you could probably draw a reasonable picture of it if, if you had just to. a bunch of bubbles yeah I mean and that's the thing <laughs> it served its purpose you know it served its visual purpose that's what people remember and that's what it was designed for it is a dress that's meant to be put on television that's for sure absolutely and you know I think Kate did the same thing with her dress even though her her dress was much more of a critical hit um you know it, her, it was let's just be real her dress was pretty stunning it was great <laughs> and it was widely praised and I think she hit all the notes 
you know, it was um, copied by almost every wedding dress designer out there. Um, I think even Target made a wedding dress. That I think right now, actually, H&M is selling it for like $100 or something. Most likely. But I mean, the, she, the price is probably wrong, but I think H&M like recently released a version. Yeah. And that's, that's the symptom of a successful gown, right? You start at the highest levels of couture and you work your way down to fast mm-hmm. fashion. And, um, you know, she just hit all the notes. Like she had sleeves, she had lace, it had some shape to it. It had design to it. It had all those English elements, like the, the lace and the bustle in the back. But I think also, unlike Diana, it was flattering. Yes. <laughs> so, I mean, that's a big thing. I think of why it was such a hit is like it looked good on her. It was. And, you know, it was interesting because if you remember, she changed dresses for the evening, but she had the same silhouette, which I think was really smart mm-hmm. because it almost looked like she had just taken off the lace overlay and had a very simple yeah. ball gown underneath. Um, well, because she had the same kind of sweetheart yeah. strapless thing, and I think and I think that just you know say what you want about her style. I think a lot of people criticize her for being overly stuffy, but she pays attention to the details. Which okay, but also let's just sidebar like she does not have the luxury of taking fashion risks because unlike Megan, she won't be praised for them. They'll be like, "What is she doing?" Like. She's going to be the queen, and blah, blah, blah. And she's got to be wearing the same thing when she's 70 as she's wearing now. Exactly. You know? And I actually think you bring us to like a really good segue here is, um, you know, what is Megan going to wear? And I think that's, we might say something a little bit more fashion forward. Although, you know, Kate's dress was great, but it it struck all the right notes in the traditional sense. I think she got a lot of comparisons to Grace Kelly, which wasn't necessarily a bad thing. Um, with Megan, we might see a little bit more experimentation. Um, I think we'll see sleeves just given the religious given that venue. it's the chapel yes. that it's, and I think that's a thing like, yeah, when I was going through know. all the pictures of wedding of the Royal wedding dresses, I mean, almost to every single one of them, there are sleeves. Even if they're like I mean, little Diana's cap the only sleeves. one who didn't have like full sleeves, but well, some of them might have little cap sleeves, but you're not going to see yeah. sleeveless or strapless. You're just not going to see yeah. that. Um, I think we're going to see a classic silhouette, just because I think Megan is very aware of what this wedding is and what family she's entering, and I don't think this is the day for a mermaid gown. No, um, but I think. I think we'll see something very classic, but a little bit simple. I I think she's probably going to avoid lace, at least significant lace, just to avoid the comparisons with Kate. Um, although I'd be shocked if there wasn't some lace, given that it is a thing on royal wedding dresses, at least. Well, and lace tends to hide wrinkles, speaking of that. so I think if we see lace, we're going to see it done in a different way. I don't know that we'll see full lace sleeves. Now, do you think, I wonder if, do you think she'll incorporate more of like, um, you know how like the thing is like, like more like champagne or like not so white? Like, do you think we'll see that from her given that, you know, no, everyone knows this is not her first wedding and um, I think maybe she has a little more flexibility in terms of color? I think we might see ivory. Mm, okay. <laughs> I don't think that matters so much anymore, and I just think maybe. I mean, there is, I forget which um, which one, but there is a royal who got married in the 20th century who wore pink. Oh. Um, but I can't remember who it was. But it's I'll have to look it up and put it in the show notes because there is someone who did wear 
a pink dress and it's like pretty great, but I don't think we're going to see pink either, but you never no, know what we'll no. see. Um, I do think we'll see a tiara. Um, and I think this is going to be a Kate Middleton situation where it's going to be on loan from the queen. Cause I don't think Megan's got a tiara lying. There's around. no, there's no Markle tiara. No, <laughs> no. Um, and then I think, you know, just to give a shout out to the men here, um, Harry's probably going to be wearing the military uniform of his highest rank, which is a tradition that dates back to Prince Albert, um, Queen Victoria's husband. Interestingly, I believe he was just made, I meant to look this up and I might have to correct myself, but he was just made a captain or something in some branch of the British military. And that's so specific. Sarah. I know. And I, I am <laughs> sorry, but I read this recently and a lot of the people, the speculation was that it was done so that he could wear that uniform because, because he is no longer active military if he wasn't given this ceremonial rank he wouldn't actually have a military uniform to wear mm. I will look that up and we will correct ourselves next week but that is I believe the case I think that is the reasoning why he was recently given a new military rank is so that he has a lovely beautiful dress uniform that will photograph wonderfully um you know the queen does pay attention to details like that uh, I think similarly William was given something like that prior to his wedding and he did mm -hmm. wear that uniform on his wedding day i think he wore the welsh guard uniform is that irish guard? or was the irish guard yeah something yeah um so that's that's what everybody's probably going to be wearing um the question so this is actually this next topic is something i'm actually very interested in and that is the wedding party um only because we have this um wild card here of this american right so the wedding party typically in a British wedding involves young children of friends and relatives. And as we know in America, it's typically your friends who are adults who are standing up with you. But at least in these upper English classes, um, at least in the royal weddings, we're typically talking more like young children. Um, William and Kate famously broke those traditions a little bit. Um, William had a best man and I do not know the difference, but apparently it's more traditional to have what's called a supporter or supporters and not a best man. But in all my poking around, I couldn't figure out for the life of me what is the difference. So I don't know if you know. I don't. And I, and I wonder if they called it a best man because Kate had a maid of honor. Maybe because I read that Prince Charles's supporters were his two brothers. So I really like, so, I don't know. It sounds like ushers, honestly, like the same thing. But I wonder if they changed the name to kind of match more what Kate did with Pippa where she wanted a maid of honor. Yeah. And that is the big difference. So she did have her sister as her maid of honor. And I read somewhere that Pippa was the oldest bridesmaid in a royal wedding ever. And she was like 26. I don't know if that's necessarily <laughs> true, but I think in the modern era, that is certainly the case. Well, it was notable that she was the only adult bridesmaid that had, you know, like if you look at like Diana, like they're all the little kids. And like, I think you're right in that traditionally, it's more of like a, what we would call flower girls, but it's bridesmaids but um I guess interestingly I wonder if Kate just was like I want a buddy up here with me so I'm gonna kind of well I think this some of these maybe more American traditions are more common crossing the pond a little bit or are more common in 
the commoners, you know, mm-hmm. um, it, it was definitely a little bit unusual and um, noted upon. But I think, you know, it kind of worked. Like, I think they both have siblings that they're really, really close to. And it it um, certainly made for nice visuals. You know, you've got Harry in his dress uniform and you've got Pippa in her fabulous dress. And then you've got a whole oh bunch God, of cute little kids. Said- <laughs> okay, hey, you just said it made for some nice visuals and all I could think about was Pippa in her dress and how everybody was focused on the visuals. That is not what I meant, but <laughs> yes, there was a lot was of focus like, wow, on Pippa Claire, after that was that Was that purposeful? It was not. Um, so I think it'll be interesting to see what happens for Meghan and Harry. You know, I, I kind of feel like William might return the favor for Harry, um, but I think Megan is kind of the wild card there, right? Because she has some friends, obviously. Some of them are famous. Some of them are not. I don't think we're going to see Serena Williams standing up there at the altar, but, um, no. I would be, because obviously if we if she's surrounded by little children, they're not going to be, they're going to be members of the British aristocracy who have been handpicked by somebody else. And then the, so the last piece of this that I thought was really interesting, um, is this idea of the bouquet. And I was just going to do this as like a throwaway because I, I just remember Kate's bouquet was really small. Do you remember that? Yeah. I mean, it was like teeny tiny. The only thing I could really find, and this is actually really, really interesting. So Queen Victoria carried a bouquet of, um, Myrtle. I don't really know what that is, but it's some tiny white flower from what I can gather. And after her wedding to Prince Albert, she had a bush of myrtle planted on the Isle of Wight. And ever since then, every royal bride has carried a sprig from that bush in their bouquet. So they have to go to the Isle of Wight to get their flowers? I don't think it's that hard to get there. Um, but, you know, it's just, it's just like tradi- a tradition. Um, so I believe Megan is probably going to carry on that tradition. Other than that, I think the makeup of the bouquet is, um, really up to you. I believe Kate's had Hyacinth and Sweet William, which I thought was kind of cute. Um, but she had like a really tiny little bouquet and we've seen some big ones. Um, but we're probably going to have that sprig of myrtle in there. And then the other tradition that goes along with the bouquet is that typically, um, I bet it's peonies. You know, it might be for a May wedding. Um, That's like her favorite, apparently. Yeah, I could see it. Um, Peonies and Myrtle. So the other thing with the bouquet is that it's typically left at the grave of the unknown warrior at Westminster, which is the American equivalent to the American tomb of the unknown soldier. So these are um, soldiers from World War II, I believe, is uh, and one. And one. If it was started by the Queen Mother, then it was World War One. Yeah. Um, so un- unknown bodies that have been interred and given the respect of members of the armed services. So um, as you just mentioned, um, when Elizabeth, the Queen Mother, got married, she laid her bouquet on the tomb um, as she was leaving Westminster Abbey. And that tradition has continued um, throughout the years. Um you know, for example, Kate's bouquet was taken back to Westminster after they took photographs at Buckingham Palace and left on the grave. I don't know if that's going to happen for Meghan since they're going to be at Windsor, so it's a little bit further away, but um, that's something to look out for. 
And well, it sounds like it doesn't have to happen like right away. Like if they waited till after the photographs, then maybe like later in the day, someone will just drive it over. I mean, but Windsor or, is well, not someone, but like Megan and Harry. I don't know. I mean, we'll see. That's just you know an interesting tidbit to look out for, and I I can totally see Megan. I guess what I'm saying that. is like I don't see Megan like breaking tradition. I don't think intentionally. I mean, I think it's probably going to happen, but we'll see. Um, just because she's not getting married at Westminster, and I don't know if it's um, typically just brides that get married at Westminster, or if it's all the brides, because there have been so many Westminster weddings. I didn't really look up what happened with Sophie, for example. Maybe there's an equally poignant place to leave it at Windsor. There may be. Um, and then the last piece is just the um, wedding bands. So traditionally, the bride's wedding band is made from this lump of Welsh gold, which I do, I seriously wonder how big, it, are they Are they using the same piece of Welsh gold? <laughs> because how big is that nugget, right? If they keep making all these wedding bands. Um, but traditionally, her wedding band would be made from Welsh gold. And then really, the question is, is Harry going to wear a wedding band? Because famously, William and Charles do not. Well, two things. I don't think that they're... There's only one nugget of Welsh gold for the rest of eternity. Like, I think there's, you know, I know. maybe small but active or they have reserves of gold or, you know, I something. just read somewhere that all the rings are made from the same lump. Well, then it might be large enough for that. Yeah. Rings don't take that much no, gold. No, I, so. I just wondered, like... Maybe that's why the men don't wear them because they're like, hey, guys, we're getting low. No, we got to <laughs> conserve resources. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but it'll be interesting um, to see. I think I did read somewhere that Harry is planning to wear a wedding band. So It's just based on what I've seen of this couple. It seems like if Megan was like, hey, I'd really like you to wear a wedding band, Harry would be like, I'm going to wear a wedding band. And I don't think it has anything to do, you know, I, from what I've read, William is really just averse to jewelry in general. Yeah. Um, yeah. Harry obviously is not. So Obviously. <laughs> I think, you know, he famously they wear matching bracelets and all of that. So... I think it'll be interesting to see, but that's kind of an interesting thing to note because I think when William decided not to wear a wedding band, there was a lot of um, pushback on that, which I don't really get. I mean, he does not need a wedding band for the world to know he's married. We all know uh, he's this married. Is like, exactly. Like, he's the most public non-bachelor in the world. Like, I don't think anybody's going to be like, I didn't know he was married. Yeah, I don't know. And, you know, it's like myself having, you know, I'm married. If I don't wear my wedding ring one day, it, it, it changes nothing. It just means I didn't put it on in the morning because I put lotion on my hands and forgot to put my rings back on. Like, you know, it's yeah. just really, I don't understand the pearl clutching for that. But that's, I think that's, uh, that brings me to my final conclusion is I'm really interested to see what happens with this wedding because I think there are segments of the British population that are going to be clutching their pearls quite hard throughout this entire ceremony. I think you're right. And I think, you know, I just said I don't see Megan breaking tradition, but I also think I want to qualify that where like, I don't see her breaking the traditions that seem really important. Like, you know, it could be viewed as an insult if she doesn't leave her bouquet on the tomb of the unknown warrior, although the logistics of that, you know, we don't know. But I also think like this is a couple that has already demonstrated that, you know, they're willing to kind of break royal tradition and pr protocol where they feel like it's sort of nonsense or maybe doesn't apply to them in the same way it applies to William and Kate. Like they're famously very affectionate in public and there's much more PDA that goes on. Um, 
And I could see them sort of breaking traditions along those lines, you know, of like the sort of practical traditions of like, why are we still doing this? Or we're just going to choose to go our own modern way because they do see more than even, and you know, we've talked about this, like perhaps William and Kate don't really have the luxury of breaking tradition, but Harry and Meghan, they're not going to be on the throne. They're not going to have kids that are on the throne. So they can kind of forge their own path. And they've seemed really willing to embrace this role as like a modern royal couple in a way that even, you know, William and Kate getting married in 2012 weren't able to do. So I'm actually really excited to see what they do. Good, because I have a few questions for you that I would like you to answer. Well, we've already seen them breaking tradition with the cake. Oh, yeah. They're not doing a fruitcake. I didn't even bring up cake because nobody wants to talk about fruitcake. But they're not doing a fruitcake. So that's all we have to say. But, like, that's notable. I think that's a good indication of the direction that they're going to take where the traditions that they break are not necessarily the ones that really matter. They're kind of – they're going to pick and choose, you know, and say, like, yeah, we don't have to have a stuffy fruitcake that no one wants to eat. I fully support that decision. I do, too. Okay, so I have some questions for you. Rapid fire. Okay. Glass Coach or Rolls Royce Phantom? Oh my God, Rolls Royce. Oh, these are predictions, not your personal preferences. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, I still say Rolls Royce or similar. Yeah. Lace or no lace? Mm, Lace. You think we're going to see lace? I think we're not going to see maybe head to toe, but I... I think Megan is very aware of what photographs well and what looks well on TV. And I think shiny fabrics don't. And I think um, we're going to see some sort of lace. Okay. Hair up or down? Mm, I'm going to say up. I'm going to say half up. Mm, I've never seen her in that. It doesn't mean it won't happen, but she seems to favor the up. So I'm going to go up. Okay. I like where your thoughts at. Bright lipstick or no? Neutral. Neutral. You think it's going to be like a beige? Like a nude, maybe like a slight pink, but yeah. Okay. Wedding band or no wedding band for Harry? Wedding band. Wedding band. Okay. And I forget what my last question was. Well, I think that about covers it anyway. That's all I got for you. Uh, oh, I got one for you. Okay. Does her father or her mother walk her down the oh, aisle? Oh, I think we're going to see her mother walking her down the aisle. I, you know what? I don't know if that's true, but I would love to see that. I think that is... That would be an amazing modern statement of like, this is the parent that I'm closest to. This is the one that I feel like had the most direct involvement and I want to give them this honor. I think that would be amazing. So time will tell. Time will tell. All right. So are we going to be live tweeting this? We're going to bungle it for sure, but let's just say yes. (laughs) Okay. Yes. So tune in. Do we have a Twitter handle? I have created one. I believe it's Monarchist Pod. And if you want... You just really put me on the spot here. I apologize. <laughs> if you want our hot takes, we'll definitely be offering those on Twitter. We'll have some real-time answers to these, this rapid fire. Yes. And uh, the other thing I wanted to note is that the wedding is on May 19th. I think we mentioned that a few times, but I think it's worth mm-hmm. noting. Um, and we're probably also... Before that, going to do a quick, I want to say like 30-minute episode, although this was supposed (laughs) to be a 30-minute episode, so who knows? It's optimistic of you. On baby (laughs) names, because there will be, prior to the wedding, a baby. baby. If it hasn't happened while we've been recording, so. No. 
Um, but definitely by the time this wedding rolls around. For sure. Yes. In fact, I actually don't think we're going to see too much of Kate at the wedding. I think she's going to attend the ceremony, but I don't think she's going to attend the reception. I think, I think she's not going to be in party princess mode. Definitely not. But we'll see you all at the royal wedding, and we hope this, you know, helped you. If you're watching the royal wedding and you see the glass coach or you see some lace or you see some mm-hmm. a sprig of myrtle, you'll know why it's there. Exactly. Or if Harry doesn't wear a wedding band or who knows what. So, um, cool. All right, Claire, I'll talk to you uh, next time. Yeah, when the baby comes. When the baby comes. All right, later. Bye. Bye.